Uh, does anybody here remember phone books? <laughs> okay. Do you remember? I, I mean, okay, I grew up in a small town. And, and phone books got printed like once a year or every couple of years kind of thing. And then they'd get delivered to your house. They'd, they'd show up on like the doorstep or, or somebody would bring them and knock. Okay. Okay. Do you remember that? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. When, when, when you were a kid and you got the phone book, when the phone book came, what was the first thing you did? Yeah, you didn't. I mean, who? Okay, who did it? Who who looked to see if your name was actually in the book? Let me correct that. Look to see if my name was spelled correctly. To see if it was spelled correctly, right? I mean, I mean, the the town we grew up in was so small that actually, back when I was a kid, now think about this today. We'd all go, "Are you kidding?" You know, but do you, at least in our town, they actually put the kids' names in the phone book too. And so, of course, you could always find out who your friends. You, know, you could always see if all your friends were there too, right? Okay. So, so these, this, this list of names, right, was a pretty big deal to all of us to go see if our name was there. Well, today we're going to look at a scripture, and it's got a whole long list. And how many of you ever have hit some scripture? You know, you're reading through God's Word, and you, all of a sudden it's really good, and you turn a page, and here's just like two pages of names. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. So, so now, now it's truth time now. Remember, you're in church, so you've got to tell truth. What do you do when you hit that list? Yeah, you just skip right on over, don't you? <laughs> yeah, because you oh, are you kidding me? Yeah, you kind of scan it. Yeah, that's what we say. That's the good, correct word. We scan the list, right? Okay, so the question for you is this. Why does God include long lists of names in Scripture? Why does he do it? History? What's that? Yeah, Irene. I mean, what do you think that significance is? I mean, I mean, God, right? Would we all agree God's word is important? And would we all agree that God doesn't like waste words, right? And and so I mean, there, there's a lot of other stuff that that in fact was like not included in the Bible, right? So I mean, there's already been some culling and some prioritization and some deciding and all this. And, and yet, some of these lists made the Bible. So, so why do you think? What do you think? Why do you think those lists of names are listed in the Bible? Genealogy is one, right? I mean, there's certain, some, like there's a genealogy of Jesus. It shows, you know, that, okay, the, who it was. Well, so there's a reason. You know, one thing we can, we can know for sure is 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture... And, you know, when you look that up in the Greek, all means all. all. Yeah, I just want to make sure you guys knew I was you know, a professional linguist here. You know, all just actually really means all. Okay, all scripture is God-breathed, even the lists. Okay, and it says, and here's why, because it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So if there's a list of names in God's word, there's a reason for it. Okay, and so whether we sit and read through every name and, you know, try to pronounce all those hard, you know, things, at, at least what we need to understand is it's there for a reason. Okay, so today we're going to see, because our scripture's got a list, and this list, I want you to kind of think of it as, it, it can be genealogy, but it's also, it's kind of like a passenger manifest. 
you know, if you get on a ship or you get on a train, you know, there's a list or on an airplane, there's a list of who all's on that uh, along with you, right? Uh, and so what this is going to be is, if you recall from last week, we're talking about the folks who left Babylon, returned to Jerusalem. And so this is kind of that passenger manifest of people who left Babylon to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. So let's, uh, let's fully understand who those folks were and why they returned by looking at today's scripture. So if you got your Bible, uh, open it up to the book of Ezra. Uh, in in uh, my Bible, that would be on page 442. So you're welcome to turn there if you want. <laughs> I don't know what it'll be in your Bible. But Ezra chapter 2, and we're going to look through chapter 2 and chapter 3 today. Now, I'm not going to read. I just told you the lists are important, but I'm going to tell you I'm not going to read the whole list to you just for time because it's 70 verses, Okay. But so let's, if you've got your Bible, open it up to Ezra chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 to 3. And it says, Now these are the people of the province who came up from the captivity of the exiles, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken captive to Babylon. They returned to Jerusalem and Judea, each to their own town. In the company was Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Sarariah, Relaiah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Rahum, and Bana. The list of the men of the people of Israel, and then it goes on and it lists all these people down through uh, like verse 63, okay? So now what I want to do is I want to, and, and you can see all those lists, and it talks about the men of Israel. Down in verse 21, it, it lists out the men from Bethlehem. Verse 36, talks about the priests that went back. Then verse 40, the Levites. 41, the musicians. Then there were gatekeepers and temple servants. And, and, and then one interesting little group, if you look at, and, and I, you don't, if you have your Bible, it won't be up on the screen, but in verse 59, it says, and some other people came up from these cities, and it says, but they couldn't show that their families were descended from Israel. So they may have been Jews, they may have been Israelites, but, but remember we were talking about, somebody said earlier, lists are part of genealogy, okay? And so there were even people, this was interesting to me, who couldn't prove that they were Jews, but when the call came that you could leave Babylon and go back to Jerusalem and help rebuild the temple, it wasn't to go back to Jerusalem and live a luxurious life in a, in a, you know, at a, at a mountain hideaway retreat. This was, you could leave, you could leave Babylon, go back to Jerusalem that was destroyed and help rebuild it. And here were people that couldn't even prove that they were Jews, but they were wanting to go back and help. So now let's look at verse, uh, let's go on and read verses uh, in chapter two, verses 64 to 70. In fact, all that list of people, it says, okay, says the whole company numbered 42,360. Besides, there are 7,337 male and female slaves, and they also had 200 male and female singers. They had 736 horses, 245 mules, 435 camels, and 6,720 donkeys. Don't leave town without your donkeys, okay? That's right. The donkeys carried all the stuff, okay? 
when, when they arrived at the house of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the heads of the families gave free will offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work. 61,000 derricks of gold. That's a lot of gold. 5,000 miners of silver. Some places said that's like three tons of silver. And 100 priestly garments. The priests, the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers, and the temple servants settled in their own towns along with some of the other people, and the rest of the Israelites settled in their towns. Now let's go to chapter 3. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns... The people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. Then, in accordance with what is written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as those, uh, as well as those brought as freewill offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. Then they gave money to the masons and carpenters. They gave food and drink and olive oil to the people of Tyre and Sidon so that they would bring cedar logs by sea from Lebanon to Joppa as authorized by Cyrus, king of Persia. In the second month of the second year, after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, who all had returned from the captivity to Jerusalem, began the work. They appointed Levites, 20 years old and older, to supervise the building of the house of the Lord. Joshua and his sons, the brothers and, uh, and brothers and Kadmael, the, uh, and his sons, descendants of Hodaviah, and the sons of Hinnadad and their sons and brothers, all Levites, joined together in supervising those working on the house of God. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good, and his love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord, because the foundations of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping, because the people made so much noise, and the sound was heard far away. Lord, today, this is your word. It's all important. And God, today, we thank you for it. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here today. We ask you to speak to us, to instruct us, Lord, to refresh us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So just a quick review of what we read, right? So that, that first 67 verses of chapter 2 is this long list of people, but they are what makes them important. Why they're listed, why they're in the word of God, is these are people who responded to the call to go and to Jerusalem 
and to rebuild the temple. And it broadly kind of creates three categories, right? There were leaders, there were governmental and, and priestly leaders, there were laymen, and then, like I said, there's even some people that couldn't really prove who they were, and so I lovingly kind of called them leftovers, right? They were just sort of people we don't really have a category for, but they were there. But you know what? Here's why I say that, and it's not to be mean about those folks. In God's economy, there's room for leftovers. There's Just because you can't prove who you are, just because you don't have a pedigree, just because you don't come from the right side of town or the right town, that doesn't mean you can't have a place in what God's doing. Because there were people who, I mean, think of this. There were, it's the scripture we said this morning, there were like 42,000 folks who went back to Jerusalem. Well, there's, look, I, I don't know the exact number, and I read several places. There's different speculation. But if you think about, there's several places that say there were probably at least two to 300,000 Jews living in the Persian Empire by the time they got to go back. Now, if that, I, you know, if you think there's a different number, I'm okay with your number too, okay? But there are several places that said at least a couple hundred thousand. So let's just say that's right for a second. So there's, by now, there's 200,000 folks that are Jewish people living in, under King Cyrus in the Persian Empire. King Cyrus says, okay, you're free to go. You're 70 years, you know, the captivity's over. If you want to go back and rebuild your temple in Jerusalem, Go, I'm even going to provide resources and help and all this. Out of all those people, 42,000 went. Does that strike you as strange? Yeah. Does that strike? Okay, so, so there were people that couldn't even prove they were Jews, but they felt the tug of God on their heart, and they said, yeah, I'll go. I'll go. I'm glad there's room for all of us in God's plan. Okay. Then it talks about people giving free will offerings. Last week, Pastor Cindy, when she started this in Ezra 1.6, before the people left, it said that all the neighbors assisted them with articles of silver and gold, goods, livestock, valuable gifts, and free will offerings. People gave, it says, they gave according to their ability to give. But everybody gave something. Everybody participated. They, they, they sent offerings and, and with them so that the people who went back, I mean, sometimes, you know, maybe some of the people were, were old enough or they had health issues that they just couldn't make the 1,000-mile trip to go back. So we, we, could, we, we don't want to be critical of those who didn't go, but it, I just found it interesting that they didn't all go. But, but apparently some of them felt even though they couldn't go, they wanted to give. They wanted to participate. They wanted to be a part of it. Then in Chapter 3, well, excuse me, right at the end of chapter 2 then, it says that once they all arrived in Jerusalem, they returned to their former towns. Remember, some of these folks had, had been born in captivity, but some of them might still be old enough that they had actually remembered leaving. But remember, in the Jewish culture and in Israel, land doesn't change ownership, right? If land that's in a family stays in a family. And so these folks that returned, they had family land that they could go back to. And so, so they went back and they refound their land. They refound their homes. And they, they had to get established because, I mean, I, and I'm not trying to be silly, but remember, there wasn't a Hilton Garden Inn they could go check into, right? They're going back to rebuild the temple. But there, there's like, you know, they couldn't email ahead and say we're coming and have rooms ready for us. They showed up. 42,000 people showed up. And all of a sudden, I mean, they actually got to have a place to sleep at night. They got to have food to eat. They, they got to, like, establish themselves. And so the first thing they had to do, even though their goal and the reason to go back is to rebuild the temple, they had to start by, like, 
setting up camp, right? So they go back to their homes and they reestablish their lives. Then it tells us in chapter 3 that, that after a period of time and they had kind of gotten themselves, you know, situated, they all come back to Jerusalem and they, they come together for the rebuilding of the altar. And once they rebuild the altar, they, they start to worship God there and they reinstate the daily sacrifices. And then after a little time later, they, they get organized. The building team gets organized with the Levites kind of being the foreman over all the workers, and they start to relay the foundation of the temple. And when it was completed, it says that they held a praise celebration. They praise God. Now, like I said, we don't have a census, but it looks like only some, you know, small portion or, you know, much smaller portion of the folks who could have gone back did go back. And so, you know, the question, I guess, you know, because they were all free to leave, and you think about, well, why didn't they go back? I don't know. One of the reasons it strikes me that some of the people may not have gone back is they were comfortable with where they were. Now, think about that. I mean, that they were not where they, they were not in God's place for them. They had been taken captive, right? And, and yet, after... Think people ever get their life off course... And stay off course for so long that they just decide to get comfortable being off course? Yeah. I mean, do you think people ever decide that, you know, they don't see a way out and it's just be- maybe they think it's just better to learn to live with it? I don't know. You know, it doesn't tell us. What, Joel? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, look... The- these the people who who you know did return right i mean maybe some of them didn't want to give up the comfortable lives they had established for themselves in babylon some of these folks had been born there now i mean that's kind of a important right some of them actually had never known israel some of them had never known jerusalem some of them you know were told yeah there's homes to go back to but they'd never seen them they didn't know you know Maybe they thought just sending money would be, you know, would be sufficient, right? We don't know. But, but the fact is, some went and some didn't, okay? And, you know, throughout our lives, we can find ourselves having been kind of moved away from God's best for us. We can find ourselves having been led away, and we can find ourselves living in situations or circumstances that were never meant for us, that were never meant for us. It's kind of a captivity of sorts. Now, some of those things we can find ourselves living in can be harsh and can be difficult and destructive. But here's the tough news is some of them can be comfortable. There there are times when sin is comfortable. There are times when, when not pursuing God's best looks reasonable. Looks like it could be good. And a lot of times the way the enemy works in the short term, it does look good. Otherwise, he wouldn't be very effective. So we can get caught up in unhealthy relationships and addictions and financial distress and impossible working environments. And we can have family members that we, you know, that where we've dropped the ball, where we've failed and 
We can have friends that we've walked away from, and we can have needs that we've known about and ignored. And, I mean, there's all these different kinds of things that either we can have done or can have been done to us, and they can cause us to, to feel like we're stuck. And so last week, Pastor Cindy talked about getting unstuck and, and, and moving forward and, and, you know, getting away from, we don't want to be thinking and spending our whole lives thinking only if, only if I had made this different decision. No, we, would, we just want to do it. So before we, we go on, because today we're going to talk about rebuilding our lives, because that's what these folks were doing. They left captivity going to a, a, a heap of rubble. Physically and spiritually, right? I mean, a heap of rubble. And they were going to have to rebuild. We're going to talk about rebuilding. But just before, you know, we're all here today and we all look okay and we look pretty comfortable and, you know, and on the outside, everything can look fine. But before we go ahead and we could say, well, that's not me, let's just take a second. And I just want to invite you to examine your life and seek God's heart on one thing, Okay. See if God would reveal to you that there's any area of your life where you've gotten off course. Where, where you're, you know, you may not be way over. You may be five degrees off course, 25 degrees. You may be, you may be way off course, okay? Uh, you, you may be kind of in a captivity right where you are. Sometimes we can even see our current problem as, in our current situation as deserved, some kind of punishment, like for something we, you know, we know we've been bad and maybe we just deserve this punishment. And you may have just decided it's better to accept things the way they are. It's less complicated to just give up and try to go on. But here's what I want to tell you right now. That's not the life that God has called you to. That's not the life God's called you to. There's freedom for you. And there's a way out. Because, and here's why we can know that for sure. Because that's not the life that Jesus died on the cross to make available to you. John 10.10 tells us that the thief came only to do one thing. Kill, steal, and destroy. And so that's what he does to us. He he gets us off course. He, He gets us in this captivity. And we can think, well, I'm not in jail. I'm not in prison. Yeah, but I'm living. If you're not living the life that God designed and created you to live, you're living in a form of captivity because you're not where God wants you to be. He's got more for you. He's got, he's got plans for you. He created you. We talk about Jeremiah 29, 11 a lot because I love that verse. But it says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He knows them. And their plans, what does it say? It doesn't say to hurt you and make you feel bad and beat you up and cause you to feel ashamed. It says there are plans to give you hope, to prosper you and give you purpose and hope. I mean, God has got these plans, but the enemy is here to kill, steal, and destroy. And what he wants to convince you of is you're stuck. That's a great word, right? Because, I mean, stuck doesn't mean you're bleeding and beat up. You could be, right? But, I mean, sometimes the worst captivity is not the one that's, like, painful. Because, man, if you, if you, if you beat me up, I know I'm, I know I'm caught, right? But there's an awful lot of people that are in captivity that look fine, and their clothes aren't all ripped up and shredded, but they're stuck. 
Because the enemy has got them stuck in a corner believing they can't move. And what God, I mean, and you know, and it's amazing because think about it. You think, well, unless, unless you know, Jesus just comes, you know, God used a pagan king. He used a pagan king and gave him a heart to release these people and let them go back. Who would have ever thought that God would put a pagan king in charge to go and be good to his people? Okay, so I mean, that's not the way we would write the story. But listen, if God could use Cyrus, a pagan king, to to bring release to his people and tell him you can go back and get your life unstuck and go back to reclaim the life I have for you, then, folks, Jesus came and said, I have come that you can have life to the full. And that's what we want to look at today is how to have life to the full. And for some of us, it needs to start by rebuilding the damage, rebuilding our lives for right where they are. So let's talk about how do you rebuild your life? First thing you got to do, and here's the toughest one, you got to be willing to sacrifice. You know, I've been, I've been trying to lose a little weight. I'm always trying to lose a little weight, okay? And because I, I feel better. I made a, I made a decision. I'm going to tell you one thing. I don't talk about myself too much, okay? But a number of years ago, I made a decision. I can eat all I want. I just can't buy bigger pants. I mean, freedom, you eat all you want, just can't buy bigger pants, okay? So I've been, trying to, I've been trying to work out and, you know, stay in good shape and lose a little weight. But I feel, I don't know about you, but I feel better when I'm getting some exercise. I just feel better, okay? I wake up with more energy in the morning, I just feel better, okay? But I got to tell you, uh, to get myself started, now I'd never done this in my whole life because I just thought this was what other people, you know, from some other place did, but... But I finally decided to work with a trainer, a personal trainer, for a little bit, just because I was kind of in a rut. You know, it's like when I would exercise, I would just do these certain things that I was comfortable, well, that I knew how to do and do them over and over and over. And, and, you know, they talk about when you exercise that at some point you kind of plateau, that if you just keep doing like the same five exercises over and over, they help you for a while, but eventually you kind of need to do other ones. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, well, I needed somebody to kick me over into other ones, you know, and, 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 and so teach me some new ones, but also, you know, get on my back and ride me to do them, right? Well, I got to tell you, it hurt. <laughs> Working with this guy, it hurt because, you know, he was merciless, <laughs> okay? Now, I, I mean, and the crazy part is I'm paying him <laughs> to be merciless, you know? But, but it, look, I had to be willing to sacrifice. I had to be willing to go there, and I had to be willing to put up with a little pain. I had to be willing to, you know, to sweat more, okay? But if you want to make change in your life, you got to be willing to make some sacrifices. Got a question for you. You know people that make sacrifices that say, I'm going to make sacrifice to improve my life. What are some of the ways that people say, I'm going to make sacrifices to improve their life? Some of you just are in the middle of it right now or just finished it. I'm looking at you and <laughs> school. Yeah, some people say, I'm going to improve my life. I'm going to go back. I'm going to get, a, I'm going to get an advanced degree. I'm going to work on my education. What are some other things people do to improve their lives? Get out of debt. Get out of debt. Pay off debt. Amen. What are some other things? Change their diet. Change their diet. Exercise. Sometimes they improve their life by getting some different friends. 
right? I mean, when people, when people decide I'm going to improve my life, there's a lot of different ways, depending on what it is, what area you're trying to improve, what it might be. For me, I wanted to go get, get in better physical condition, okay? But the constant, always true bit is that rebuilding always requires sacrifice. Look, no matter, no matter what your current situation is, no matter where you come from or any of that, or wherever God wants to take you, if you want to get from where you are to where God is trying to get you, it will require you to make some sacrifices. Hey, in the Old Testament, an awful lot of sacrifice involved fire. Now, today, I mean, that was sacrifice animals. I'm kind of sacrificed. Sometimes we need to burn up some stuff in our life. There's some stuff in our life that just needs to be burned up and gone. We need to sacrifice it. The other thing is in the New Testament, it talks a lot about pruning. And what's it? You guys gardeners? What does pruning do? What does pruning do? Yeah, because what are you getting rid of? Dead. We're getting rid of stuff that's dead, or we're getting rid of parts of it that are not productive. Right? I mean, if, I'm, if I got a peach tree, and it isn't growing peaches, why do I have a peach tree? Right? So you're going to prune it back. You're going to reshape it. You're, gonna do so, you're, gonna, it's, you're not going to leave it the way it is because it's not productive. And the same thing is true in our lives. So there, sometimes there's, there's, we need to burn some things away and we need to prune some things. But we've got to, get rid of stuff that's got, got to get rid of the stuff that's not productive. So the first thing we've got to understand about sacrifice is if you want to really rebuild your life and you've got to recognize you've got to be willing to sacrifice then you got to get comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable. You're going to have to say that's okay for a while. I'm going to have to get, a, get accustomed to that. Look, the Jews, I really, I, I try to put myself in the position of people that I'm looking about in God's word, okay? And you got to think about these Jews that left Babylon, good or bad, I mean, they had places to live, right? They, 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 had, they had places to live. They, they knew where the market was. They, they knew where to go to buy vegetables and groceries and stuff. They, they, they knew where the well was. You know, they, they knew there was a well. They knew where they could go get water. I'm not saying their life was luxurious, but I'm saying over the years of being in Babylon, they had sorted it out, right? They, they knew how to live there. They knew how to get around. All of a sudden, I mean, think about any of us, because some of us would be the age of the people that left and went back. I mean, all of a sudden, you're going to go to a place, and now all of a sudden, you don't know how to live there. You're going to, you know, there may be a well, but you don't know where it is. You know, there's no vegetable garden waiting for you to get broccoli or, or tomatoes out of. You're going to have to go plant it. Okay? So, I mean, these folks sacrificed a lot. You know, these, some of these folks had started businesses. They were walking away. They were shopkeepers and, and farmers. They, they walked away. They left all these things that they had to return to a homeland with no guarantees. No guarantees. No, no, you know, no government subsidies and, you know, no, no, no food stamps. I mean, you know, there was, they had to go do it on their own. So not everybody was willing to make the sacrifice. Many of them stayed in Babylon. So one of the things we have to decide is, are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to leave the comfort of what we know, even if that comfort is captivity? Are we willing to leave it? And are we willing to ask God to show us the areas of our life that need to be removed, to be burned up, or pruned away, 
and need to be rebuilt. And once he shows us, because if there are those areas in our life are there, he'll show them to you. All you got to do is ask. He'll show them to you. And then we just need to have the courage to begin that good work, right? Empowered, empowered by our courage and our faith in God that, that God's word is true and that he did create us for more than where we are right now. Second area we need to do to rebuild our lives, we've got to lay a firm foundation. And I think today's scripture was a really great example of that. There's, there's different foundations that people build their lives on too, aren't there? What are some of the things we build our life on? job we build it on our job for sure don't we We put a lot of our identity and the foundation in our job okay what else family Family. yeah family is a huge one isn't it anything else anybody any other ideas what do we build our lives on marriage marriage yeah we i mean there's there's so many things right that people that we can decide i'm going to build i you know people that build it on money On possessions, how many toys do they have? That's right. That's I mean, there there are so many things that people try try to build their life on. If we're going to successfully rebuild our lives, the first thing we got to do, just like the Jews did that went back to rebuild the temple, is you got to surround yourself with a team of builders. We were never meant to have to live life alone, were we? We were not meant to, be, to live life in a vacuum. And when the people, that, God didn't call one guy to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. Well, I mean, I know that sounds silly, but think about it, right? Because one guy couldn't do it. There's stones that needed to be moved that are too big for one guy. I mean, one guy would have gotten back to Jerusalem, looked at it, thrown up their hands in despair, and gone, I should have stayed in Babylon. And you know what? If there's area of, of our life that need to be rebuilt, God did not intend for you to go sit in a corner and do it by yourself. Okay? He, he wants you to be willing to make sacrifice, to be willing to pay the price, but then he wants to, you to surround yourself with a team of builders. I mean, if you watch HGTV and any of those, you know, flip and flop shows and house renovation, you know, Okay, what you do is, they, what do they do if they want to renovate and do all that stuff? They bring in experts. The, the stars of the show, you know, they always show them with a hammer every now and then, you know, hitting one nail, right? You know, the real work was by the carpenters over here, you know, that they don't, they don't show you all the sweat and stuff. But, but, I mean, you bring in folks that know what they're doing, right? If I got a crack in my foundation, trust me, I don't want to fix it. I'm not an expert in fixing cracks in foundation, but there are folks that are. Okay, listen, if there's some cracks in the foundation of your life, get, get some folks around you. Do you see what I mean? And so what would those kind of people be? Where do, do you look for them in the yellow pages, or how do you find these folks to rebuild your life? Well, you know what? I tell you, pastors can encourage you and guide you and counsel you. Teachers can instruct you in the Word of God. Prayer counselors can help you get free of the stuff of the past and help you experience inner healing. Listen, there are renovation experts in our spiritual life. There are people we can call on and surround ourselves with, and we need to do that so that we can lay that firm foundation. When the Jews who returned to Jerusalem began to work rebuilding the temple, they knew that the first thing they needed to do was to lay the foundation because if they didn't do that, if you don't lay a good foundation, what happens? The building you put on top of it will fall down. 
The building won't hold the weight of what's there. It'll be crooked. It won't be square. It'll be weak. The same is true in our lives. If we don't lay a firm foundation in our lives, God can never fully entrust us with everything he's got for us because our foundation is weak and he won't harm you by giving you things that your foundation can't handle. I mean, you can go look at houses and sometimes people go look at a house and it'll be a very nice house, maybe kind of you know, like a smaller house and they say, well, I, could, I think I could, if I wanted it bigger, I could add on to it. Well, sometimes you can and sometimes you can't. You got to first have somebody who knows what they're doing go and look at the foundation because some houses weren't built to be added onto. Their foundation wasn't the right kind. And so you can't do it. If you add onto that house, it'll fall down. The structure, it can't hold the structure. Others can be. So if we want to be all that God has created us to be, and we believe that God's got more for us than we're experiencing right now, honestly, part of that sacrifice and part of that work is we got to go back and examine our foundation and say, have I laid a strong, firm, true, square, level foundation spiritually in my life that God can build on in my life? Now, how do we get that? With the Word of God, right? Our, our foundation is in God's Word and our hope and our faith in Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so we surround ourselves with those renovation experts people that encourage us, people that stand with us, people that we, like here this morning when we're sharing pictures and talk, that, that share our lives with us and actually love us and care about us and will tell us the truth. You know, you ever known people that only want to hear what they want to hear? Yeah, well, that's all. Yeah, I, I'll give you all a list next week of all the stuff I'd like to hear every week. Okay, you know. No, I mean, but do you know what I mean? But, but think about it. If that's all we got, we're a mess, aren't we? Because, because there's times I need to hear some things that I might not like to hear, but I need to hear them. Okay? But, but, when, but when somebody's brave enough and honest enough to tell you the truth, remember I told you that you got to get used to being a little uncomfortable? The sacrifice? Well, part of the sacrifice is being willing to hear the truth. Because some of us don't like to hear the truth because it might tell us that we've got a little work to do. And so part of but see, I only really want to hear the truth from people who love me and people who care about me. And so we need to get, we need to lay that firm foundation so that we can build on it. Just remember, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So we want to surround ourselves with that, build that good foundation so that the physical life that's built on top of that spiritual foundation can prosper. Last thing we need to do is we need to establish milestones. How many of you in business get involved in your jobs that with projects? Like you gotta you gotta get from here to there on a project. And yeah, I know I know one guy does and much of it, you know. And what do you do? So I mean, look, I can feel like okay, I was I was messing around out on out on some out on a lake a couple of weeks ago, and I was using one of these stand-up paddle boards. You ever seen those things? You stand up and you do this, okay. All right, and, and when I got on it and, and left, there was no wind. <laughs> when I got to the far end of where I was, the wind had started blowing, and guess which way it was blowing from? It was blowing from that way, so I had to paddle back <laughs> into the wind, okay? And so I'm, and I'm, 
I know you all think I'm very small, okay, but, but, but I catch a little wind, you know? And so I'm standing here trying to paddle, and I'm looking over at a dock, and the dock isn't moving, you know? It's just, I'm just kind of... <laughs> kind of now, I'm getting sweaty and hot, and I can't tell that anything's happening, you know, because I'm just, I'm just going, okay? So what do we, but, but what I had done is I had established a milestone. I was looking at this dock, and I'm thinking, if I can just get on the other side of that dock, then there's another dock, and I'll watch that one, and I'm going to work till I, till I get to that dock, and then I kept going. Okay, so in our lives, if we want to rebuild our lives, part of what we got to do is we need to establish some milestones, some mile markers along the way, because, what, because you know, we're, it is hard work. We said it's going to be hard work. We're going to have to be uncomfortable. We've got to relay a foundation, and we're going to have to surround ourselves with some people that along the way may need to tell us some hard things from time to time to bring us back and encourage us and help us get along the way. But we are all human, and we need some encouragement. And so part of the way we know that it's actually doing some good is we set some mile markers, some milestones along the way, some project markers, so that occasionally we, we pass one of them. And we go, yes! Okay? You know, if I'm trying to lose... 20 pounds, every five pounds, I'm going to have a party. No, you know what I mean? Because it was hard to lose five pounds. And so, you know, I'm going to celebrate for at least a moment, right, with a cup of water and a cracker. And then I'll get back to losing, to, to losing, try to, but you, listen, in life, to keep ourselves encouraged, we need to set these milestones that will allow us to see that we're making progress. The builders did the same thing. They were, gonna, they were rebuilding the temple, and what does it do? It said that the first thing they did before they even laid the foundation is that they built the altar. And when they built the altar, because they wanted to praise God, and said so the first thing they did was they had a praise service, right? They, 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 started, they started worshiping God, and then they worked on the altar. And when they got uh, the, the foundation, when they got the foundation laid, it says then they had a praise service. So in our lives, that's what we got to do too. We need to remember not only to thank God along the way as he works in our lives, but we need to have that moment when we tell everybody that says, you know what, I've been working on this area of my life. I mean, when I'm, you know, some friends here have been working on their master's degrees, okay? And, you know, when, when, they, when they got them done, they celebrated. They went on a trip. Hey, they deserved it, man. I mean, after all that studying for like 12 years, I don't know how long it was, but it took, took forever see, to me, see, to me, because, because I wasn't willing to make that sacrifice, but they were. It just looked awful, but they did it. And I'm so, I'm really thankful. I'm proud for them. But do you understand? But, you, but along the way, when they got there, they, they celebrated. Okay, and you've got areas in your life that as you accomplish things and as you cross mile markers and as you make improvements, celebrate, celebrate. First, celebrate by praising God and thanking him for his goodness that he actually brought you from where you were to where you are now. And then, and then tell somebody, you know what, it's okay to tell people some good news, but especially your church family, because the world might say, oh, they're just bragging. But in here, we ought to be praising God with you. This is the one place that you ought to be able to be honest and tell somebody, you know what, I was struggling with this or I was working on this. And you know what, I've been trusting God to help me get over here and do this a little better, whatever it is. 
And you know what? For a couple of weeks now, I've been doing that. I've been, I've been seeing progress. And you know what? This is one place where people ought to be going, you know, they, they, the world would say, well, you know, you've still got a long way to go, don't you? No, you know, this is the place where people would say, praise God, I'm so proud of you for what God's doing in your life. I'm so thankful for the progress you're making. And hey, how can I help you? Is there anything I can do for you to help you get one more step down the way? Listen, that's what we need to do. And that's what rebuilding a life is all about. It's, it's surrounding yourself. It's first being willing to do it, understanding it's going to take some work. It's then starting with the foundation so that everything that happens after it can, can last, can last. But then it's celebrating along the way. And it's exactly what the people that were willing to leave captivity, break free, get loose, and go home. That's exactly how they lived their lives as well. So today, you know, I talked, we made a little bit of fun of that list of names earlier, call it, you know, Passenger Manifest, whatever it is. I'll give you a better title for it. It's an honor roll. It's an honor roll. You know, there's a lot of people who lived, right? There's a lot of people who've been alive since the creation. And they're good folks. You know, they're good folks, but their name's not in Scripture. There's, when, we're, when, we're, when we hit it, it looks like there's a lot, but relative to the human population, right, it's a small handful. There's a handful of people that for one reason or another, God chose to include their names in his holy word, and it tells us that everything there has got a purpose. And what I think God is doing is he wants to show us some honor rolls that, that that, yeah, he does, you know, like, he does these big things. He parts the Red Sea. He raises the dead. I mean, these are, you know, he does these big things. But what I'm really thankful for is that he knows your name. He knows my name. I, I, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I hardly understand that. I mean, I, you know what I mean? I believe it, but it's hard to wrap my head around that the God of the universe that has no time, no, that, that he actually could call me by name. In fact, it says he knows the number of hairs on your head. That's a bigger challenge for some than others. But, but, but you know, but he knows. I mean, think of the detail, what that tells you, that God knows about you. And so today, there's this, he's shown us this honor roll of people who are willing to sacrifice everything to respond to him, to go and rebuild even the leftovers. He included even the leftovers and their names. The folks who couldn't even prove they belonged to be there, but they were willing to go anyway and sacrifice. He said, you know what? I'm going to put them on the honor roll. So if he'd include them, how about you and me? How about you and me? Look, today, there can be an area of your life where God's calling you to do some rebuilding, some renovation, some reconstruction. Okay? Could be areas that you've just never fully turned over to him, or they could be areas where you've just gotten comfortable kind of being captive by something. You know, there's a lot of things. It could have to do with your marriage or your relationships. It could have to do with the language you use or how you treat others. It could have to do with what you watch at the movie theater or on TV or look at on the Internet. It could be the games you play. It could be the people you hang out with. It could even be stuff like your work ethic. 
could be how you handle your finances. Look, there's a lot of areas of our life that we make choices on whether we're going to honor God in them or we're going to go our own way. And if, if, if you're not honoring God in it, then I assure you, you're experiencing less than God's best for you right now. And so the real question is, do you want to do something about it? Do you want to make a difference? Do you, because just like Cyrus gave the invitation to the Jews, you can leave. Not everybody was willing to go. But some did, and they made God's honor roll. So the question is for you, which group do you want to be? The ones who stay and are comfortable, may not think they're suffering, but you're living below what God had for you, are the ones who are willing to pay the price and go and become all that God has created you to be. Stand with me as we get ready to close today. So... Today, everybody bow your heads, close your eyes. It's, nobody's looking around, okay? If you've got some area of your life, it could be big or small. I mean, you're not admitting, nobody's going to know what you're talking about because we won't know what it is. But if there's an area of your life that you know is not fully yielded to God, that it needs some renovation, it needs some rebuilding so that you can be free to experience all that God has for you. Just slip your hand up. That's you today. Amen, amen, amen. Lord, today... You've seen our hands, and more than that, Lord, you know our hearts. And so, Father, I pray that for everyone who has raised a hand today, God, I pray that you would just make it clear to them, Lord, what that area is. I pray, Father, that you would surround them, Lord, with, with rebuilders, Lord, with people that would encourage them and walk with them. And, Lord, I pray that as they walk in your word and they spend time with you in prayer, God, I pray that you would just instruct them and guide them in the way they should go. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them with milestones of progress. Lord, I pray that they would see progress in their life. And, Lord, they would praise you and give you honor and glory each step of the way. God, today, our desire, Lord, is to, uh, to join that honor roll of folks who are willing to go and to rebuild and to answer your call for our lives. In Jesus' name.